0: of authority here as guest speakers, so uh, my apologies. My name is Jeff Shue, and I run a ministry in town called Flourish San Diego. We like to say our name is our aim, and uh, really what we wind up doing is we help the church navigate the great changes in culture so that they can form the kinds of people that look like Jesus in today's world. Um, That's enough to say about that. So, I was... I go to Trinity Presbyterian Church in Rancho Peña, actually meets in Forest Ranch, Uh, it's a PCA church. My theology is roughly um, reformed and I'm reluctantly Presbyterian, so that's all you need to know about my denominational affiliations. Um, Today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is that weird one, that weird one where like people get hired at different hours of the day and then they get like paid in ways that don't make a lot of sense. I typically uh, label this uh, sermon as the eccentric vineyard owner or the eccentric employer because he doesn't seem to be paying the way in which you're supposed to be paying. But we're going to read the scripture together, and simply because it's the pattern, we're going to have some audience participation. So I know you're anxious now. Let me first begin by reading... um, Chapter uh, 20 of Matthew, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so, really what this entire parable is like, it's supposed to illustrate something about the kingdom of God. And if you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the kingdom of God, or if you read about it in um, Matthew, the term that Matthew uses is the kingdom of heaven. Essentially, what we're talking about is the, the place the domain, the uh, dominion, the the place where the king, his way is followed. Okay? So the kingdom, the dominion, it's about where God reigns, where he rules. It's where where what he wants happens. And um, if we know anything about what Jesus taught in his three years of public ministry, it was largely about the kingdom of God. That was the number one topic. And I'll say something a little controversial. Maybe it's not, uh, but I'm going to say it because Jonathan's not here. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness of sins. So just hang on to that for a second. Live in the cognitive dissonance the gospel is not primarily about the forgiveness of sin. All right? The gospel is primarily about the kingdom of God. Now, we know this because, for many different reasons, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15, 16, right after Jesus gets baptized and is tempted in the wilderness, um, it says, it's not in here, but I'm going to read it. This is what happens when you give me, like, freedom. After John was put in prison, this is verse, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Oh, cool. Right after, right after Jesus, uh, John was put in prison, he went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Evangelion. He was evangelizing. Wouldn't it be cool if we knew what the content of Jesus' gospel proclamation was? Did Jesus run around saying, hey, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, and you're going to accept my death as payment for your sins? That actually isn't what he wound up saying. Hang on. Very next verse, Mark is very kind to include, and our translators put a quotation mark, this is what Jesus said. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is that the kingdom of God is near. The the reign and rule of God is at hand. Being able to live underneath His way is the good news. And that's really interesting. Now, the place that the cross takes is that it allows us to become the kind of people that actually want to live beneath His reign and rule, rather than live beneath our own reign and rule. So I just, I'm just i just going to put that out there. Jesus' work on the cross, absolutely good news. Forgiveness of sins, absolutely true. But it's what the cross, what Jesus accomplished at the cross, allows us to be able to live into is actually the good news. So hang on to that for a thought. So now when we come to Matthew 20... This parable of this wacky sort of, like, compensation structure is supposed to tell us something about how our loving God, which we sang about today, reigns and rules. This parable is supposed to tell us something about his math, okay? How he, um, how he, how he thinks. So let's figure out what that is together. We're going to read the passage together, and we're going to do it like this. Um, You already know that the parable includes people being hired by this vineyard owner to work in the vineyard at different hours during the day. And so what we're going to do is, as we read about people being hired at different hours of the day, I'm going to have groups of you stand to represent working in the field. Okay? You're following me here? Okay, so, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard." Now pause, since you're still sitting, I'll say these words. When we first moved here in 2000, we lived in Peña you, you knew on Saturday mornings at different, different corners of our community, you knew where to go and find folks that would be able to help you with yard work, with, you know, it was always fascinating. If you needed someone to do tile, everyone there, you know, would raise their hand. Say I can do tile, and then you discover they really can't. Um, but day workers, who are looking for work for the day, and this is the image that comes to mind in the village square. There was no social security. There's no, you know, none of these uh, job protections that we have. It was if you didn't work for the day, you didn't get paid for the day. You head to the town square looking for work. Okay, so. The kingdom of heaven, something about the reign and rule of God is like this. It's like a landowner who goes out early in the morning to hire workers for a vineyard. He agrees, right? I'm going to say this group right here. Six o'clock in the morning, you're hoping for work. And this vineyard owner comes and says, hey. I'm going to hire you guys. So if you could just stand, All right? That's right, good. You're hired, OK? So now look, tell me, are you excited? Yes. Are you glad? Yes. You're thankful. Yes. Great, so am I. Stay standing, because you're working now, OK? <clears throat> so let me t- I'll tell you what, I'm going to hire you for the day. I'm going to pay you a denarius, it's a day's wage. You happy with that? All right, good. Good audience participation, stay standing. Sentiment to the vineyard, you're working. All right, next verse. About 9 in the morning, the vineyard owner heads out, and he sees others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Oh, we're going to have to have... All right, so right here, you're the 9 o'clock hire, okay? So stand up, please. (coughs) He tells them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. Now, are you excited about being hired? (laughs) Okay. Remember that the rule of thumb is if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay. So you got some work, and what's the wage you're going to get paid? Whatever's fair. Right? So we don't really know, but whatever's fair. Okay, good. So they went. Now, you're here. You're working. Presumably the vineyard owner hired enough workers for the work that needed to be accomplished that day. And three hours into the day, you find more people coming. What are you thinking? Less work. I like this. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Less work. Next verse. He went out again at noon. So the whole back section there are the noon hires. If you're able to, feel free to stand, will signify that you are hired at noon, Okay. Now, you've been standing in the market square not knowing if you're going to be able to work today. And you get hired at noon. Are you happy? All right. You're going to get paid something, right? Okay. Trust me, that's good. And you guys are thinking, huh? Let's work. Oh, jumping ahead. (laughs) Next verse. About three in the afternoon, he finds these three people. Would you please stand? And you're thinking, huh, okay. Oh, all right. What's going on here? Next verse. About five in the afternoon, he went out and he found still one other person sitting around. And he asked him, why are you sitting here all day long doing nothing? And you say, yes, well done. You also go and work in my vineyard. Okay, please stand. Stay standing. You're all working. Okay. One. Another group of people come at five, right? You're thinking, what in the world does this have to do to explain about God's reign and rule? Next verse. When evening came, we're almost done, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, this is brilliant how Jesus constructs this parable. Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who are hired at about five in the afternoon came and each one received a denarius, a whole day's wage for one hour of work. And then we'll ask, how do you feel about that? Amazing. Amazing. You can be seated. The question then becomes, how do you start feeling about that? Bitter, jealous. Maybe I'm going to get more, so expectations raised. What else? Envious. I should have waited to the end of the day, right. Now, don't hire me nine, please. I'm waiting until five. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Next verse. So when those who came who were hired first... They expected to receive more, but each one also received the denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Next verse. But he answered one of them and said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And so the last will be first and the first will be last. Shall we just close in prayer? No. I was told I can go to whenever. What is Jesus telling us about the way which things work within the reign and rule of God? What's, what, what's being said? Next slide. Because I like diagrams. It's a right angle triangle. I think it is. I don't know. I made it in whatever what I wanted to illustrate here um, this is the way I think I'm trying to figure out what's going on in this passage so we've got a little triangle here and uh, the next slide will show that the idea that I want to communicate is on the next slide that as we move from right to left right um, there is well I will have to do the next slide the idea here is that the more you work, and again, I'm going left. Next slide. The more you earn. Okay, so nothing crazy here, right? It's just rule of thumb, right? And next slide would tell us that it's kind of the way we think. It's how we figure out what's fair. It's how we determine what's right. And yet the interesting thing in this parable is that everyone gets a denarius. Let me say it this way. Next slide would say that there's a corollary. That is, if you work less, the next slide would say that you earned less. right? And the tricky thing here is that because everyone received the denarius, it really makes things a little bit wonky because um, in this case, the person who, the group of people that would have earned less still received the whole reward. And so that tells us something, that maybe what Jesus is trying to illustrate about the reign and rule of God is that it isn't about a person having worked less, having earned less. It may actually be, next slide, that the people that have worked less have been graced more. Is it possible that there's a different sort of lens in operation in God's economy than we actually intuitively think about? This idea of being graced more is, next slide, kind of an odd way of doing it. And it feels unfair, and yet it also seems right. I kind of think about the lower left-hand uh, triangle. I will use the label on the next slide. as just saying it's actually, I don't know what the next slide is, payment. It's about earning. It's about obligation. It's about payment. But the other triangle, next slide, is really about gift. It's about grace. It's about undeserved and unmerited favor and so one of the funky things that's happening in this parable I think Jesus is trying to draw to our attention is that there are a couple of ways there are a couple of rules there are a couple of economies in action in the very same things that are happening and this is actually a way of of describing how the kingdom of God um, in some ways is invisible Because there are going to be people operating according to the ways of the world, where we say we're out to get whatever we can get. And there are going to be some people that are operating according to the rules of the king, within his reign and rule, his kingdom, that operates in upside-down, strange ways. And I think that's what Jesus generally does when he talks about the way of the Lord, an Old Testament way, of phrase of talking about what the kingdom of God is like. It's the way things ought to be. What's the next slide? I thought it'd be interesting if we layered upon this chart when people were hired. Could it be possible there would be some sort of scale at which people will feel like they were unjustly treated, i.e. those hired at 6 in the morning, not you guys. Um, Right? But zoom in to the 5 p.m. Right, area and zoom in one more slide, uh, one, yeah, one more slide, the next slide. There's no question, and this is where I would say, any, my friend used to say, anytime you draw a diagram, you're like, you illustrate two truths and get close to about five heresies. So all I want to illustrate here is that the people hired at five, even though they spent a little time working, they knew. That the overwhelming experience was one of grace was one of gift was one of unbelievable favor you knew that worker was going to head home right and go you'll never guess what happened and talk about the amazing grace that was experienced you know that right that's the overall thing that it occupied their head uh, next slide and you, you, you feel it intuitively. It was far easier to describe the injustice that we would have felt if we were hired at 6 a.m., right? That one actually feels more real to us, right? So um, this is interesting to me because it suggests to me that there are times in which I'm a little bit more oriented towards one framework than the other. And I think that this is true even as followers of Jesus Learning how increasingly to live in the upper right-hand quad, uh, triangle. Next slide. Just to be able to make some of the um, some observations uh, to perhaps highlight some of the ways in which we might feel some s- how we might feel. Um, first line, you know when we were thinking about the day's wage in the morning, you know those who are hired first were actually like, yeah, day's wage, that's fair. Yeah, I'm thankful for work today because I didn't know if I was going to get work, right? It was actually a good thing. But then um, those who are hired at five or any else uh, you know, during, t- during the day, um, there would have been this sense that anything is good, and I'm still grateful. With regard to a day's wage in the evening after the payments started coming, those who are hired first... Un- all of a sudden felt that what was fair was unfair. And that they did not get what was deserved. But those who were hired at five may have thought it was unfair, but uh, they got what was not deserved. Interesting, huh? Next slide. What's the emotional experience? For those hired first, wait a minute. Hold your horses. Jealousy, envious. Effort, My, I, work, I worked all day. I worked through the heat of the day. And even though as more people showed up, your work became less. That didn't factor into your instance of gratitude. Not you guys. But for those who were hired at five, it was like, oh, I think the experience was grace. I didn't earn this humility. Right? And I was clearly rewarded apart from my effort. And not something I did. You see the contrast. Next line. The type of righteousness that crops up here is fascinating. I deserve this because this is what I've done. I may have gotten hired at 6 a.m. because I look particularly strong or well-qualified, or I knew, you know, uh, maybe I can take pride. All that does is develop a self-righteousness within us. A 5 p.m. hire is going to, um, in living, knowing that they have been rewarded when they were undeserved, as they're experiencing grace and humility and rewarded apart from their effort, are going to, have within them a righteousness that resembles more of that righteousness that comes from Christ. Last line. This is how I would distinguish a difference between religious performance and the gospel. Religious performance says I do what I need to do to be able to earn something. God's favor, maybe. um, And... What it does is it produces self-righteousness because I did it. The gospel is different because it operates from the realization that there is nothing we have done to earn our salvation. There is nothing to, that we have done that, you know, that, that 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 I can boast about, right? And it produces within us a different kind of thing, a different experience of Christ's righteousness. Next slide. The way in which this looks, then, when we're living out of the gospel, a gift mentality versus performance and payment or a religion mentality is this. First line. When it comes to acceptance, uh, this is a list that comes out of uh, some work that Tim Keller has produced out of a gospel and heart class, but contrasting the religion, religion from the gospel. It says, acceptance. You know, when you think about acceptance, religion says if you obey, and if you obey well enough, you will be accepted. Your acceptance is going to be based upon whether or not you've done the right thing. You lived a good enough life. You had your quiet time. You prayed. The gospel actually says, no, 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 no. You've been accepted. And out of your astonished realization that you've been accepted, you've been forgiven. You've been graced. You find yourself saying, How can I obey? How can I do, Lord, what you want? Because I want to. What changes is inside. There's a motivation that's entirely different because we realize we have been astonishingly graced. That's the gospel. Next slide. When it comes to the motivation for living the Christian faith and the religion, your motivation is based on fear. Have I done enough? Have I done enough to to earn God's favor? Have I? I don't know. I better do more. Oh, I don't feel like going to church um, today. Oh, I better go. right. I got to get some brownie points with God or something. Motivation for living the Christian life out of the gospel is based on grateful joy. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe that this is what God has done for us? How do we get more of that? Next slide. Why do I obey? And the religious performance, I obey in order to get things from God. And you know this on the lower left-hand triangle because it's like, hey, I've worked hard. Hey, you owe me a lot. And if you ever find yourself shaking your fist at God because he's not held up his part of the bargain, stop and pause. Maybe you've got some expectations, a different kind of economy that you're holding God to that God doesn't want to work within. Under the gospel, our sense of obedience is I want to obey God not because I get things from him, but because I get him. I get to be in relationship with the God of the universe, the lover of my soul, the one who has died on the cross for me so that I may be increasingly free to be who I want to be and who he's called me to be. Out of grateful joy. Next line. My identity, where does it come from? Under under the religious performance lens, it's based on how hard I work and how moral I am, how good a vineyard worker I am, and look, they picked me first. And the gospel says, no, your identity is centered on the fact that Christ is the one who has done the work for you. He's done it all. Can we see the difference here? Last line. Generosity. Under religious performance, I give because I'll get something that I'm owed. I will give because I get something that I deserve. But in the gospel, we give because we've been given something that we don't deserve. Do you see how the triangle we find ourselves in the lens with which we view our religious expression can either form self-righteousness within us or Christ's righteousness within us. Can you see that the world needs what the world needs today are not self-righteous Christians, but what the world needs are people that look like Jesus, that shine forth his righteousness and are becoming increasingly righteous, not self-righteous, but Christ-righteous, and are living in ways that look like Jesus would live if he were you. I don't remember if there's another slide. Okay. So we get to stop. This is the idea here. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner, right? Oh, my gosh. Hiring at different times of the day but pays everyone the same? The brilliance of it is brought up when the people hired last are paid the same amount because that awakens the self-righteousness. So part of the questions that are worth asking here is, oh, I see, there's another way of living that actually is more consistent with producing the fruit of righteousness in our lives that we long for. How do I get a hold of that? How do I learn how to even read these crazy passages about the kingdom of God in light of that lens? How do I do that in such a way that it actually helps me become more like, I'm going to say it this way, a 5 p.m. higher versus a 6 a.m. higher? You all know what you want to be, right? You actually, (laughs) it may actually start like this. We may want to... Oh, if that's how it works, I want to be the 5 p.m. hire so I don't have to work through the day. But really, as you begin to understand the gospel, you're like, oh, pick me first. Or because I get to do the work of the vineyard known out of great joy and delight. Everything changes when you can distinguish the gospel from religious performance. I think that this is what this parable is about. It's talking about the different economies. It's really fascinating. Immediately before this is the parable about the rich young ruler, right? And it's like, this is someone you think has got everything that, you know, he would want. Uh, And yet Jesus says, okay, we'll sell everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, everything I've accumulated, everything that I have, everything I look to for my sense of blessing and righteousness, I've kept all the commandments, right? And uh, he went away sad. And that parable ends just before this one, and the first will be last, and the last will be the, the last. The last will be first, and the first will be last. This parable ends the same way. It adds a different sense of meaning, doesn't it, to what it means to be last being first, and first being last. Right after this is when. Um, the two disciples asked to be at Jesus's right hand no their mom does right there's an upside downness of the kingdom which is so so very integral to what this economy is inside God's reign and rule it's pictured when Jesus enters the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the passion week and it's not he's not on a chariot he's on the back of a donkey So many things about the way of Jesus and the gospel is upside down and backwards from what we expect. And if that bothers you, celebrate. Because that's the precise cognitive dissonance that you are to experience to be able to recognize when you're living beneath your own reign and rule versus God's. So uh, a few things to think about um, when it comes to reflecting uh, on this passage. What higher are you? 6 a.m.? 5 a.m.? Why? Right? Why would you say that? Which one do you want to be? Right? What do our neighbors need? Right? 6 a.m. hires? 5 p.m. hires? Well, I should probably stop. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is alive and living and active. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your ability to be able to drive home your ways to even in, in familiar passages be reminded afresh of the significance of how different the gospel is than religious performance. And I thank you, Father, that there are moments you know, where that becomes so clear that it causes us to pause. It causes us to kind of rethink, which is another way of talking about repentance. It causes us, as we encounter the gospel of the kingdom of God, that it is at hand, that it is present, that it is here for us to live under, that this is good news and that I should repent and I should believe in this. And so, Father, to the degree in which you have been at work, this morning in our hearts would you help us to believe would you help us to rejoice would you help us to repent and we thank you lord that in this rejoicing in this repentant rejoicing we find ourselves on that journey of increasingly becoming like you not only for the sake of the world but for our own sake as well we thank you for your amazing goodness